from the Schmoes No Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, it's time for Profiles with your hosts, Alicia Malone and Scott Mance. Hello, Schmoville! Welcome to episode eight of Profiles. This is the one you've been waiting for. It's the one we have been waiting for. Mm -hmm. David Fincher. I am as excited as Mance on Red Bull, which he's not on today. He doesn't even need to be because we're that excited. I actually thought I was really excited, but no, Alicia Malone, you might actually be more excited about David Fincher than I am. Why is that? He is my favorite contemporary director because he is able to create such an atmosphere, such a mood with all of his films. When you talk about his cinematography, the great score, he has a great mind for music and and the subject matter, which is often dark, it's often exploring the darkness of man and human cruelty in all its different forms, you know, from serial killers to consumerism to greed and ego to social media. He just has such a great style. There is a style to him that is really unmatched. And I was thinking about it when we were talking about Fincher over the last few days, is that when you watch a David Fincher movie and it's over, you don't just get up and leave. Mm. You stay because the movie just takes you over. It leaves you feeling so blown away and Mm -hmm. moved and just really taken in by the visuals, by the power. His movies have great characters, fully realized characters, strong stories, and of course that cinematography. Great detail in there as well. I mean, it's well known that Fincher is a perfectionist. Oh, no, really? He likes multiple (laughs) takes, much like Kubrick did. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't surprise me to know that he is a huge fan of Hitchcock. In fact, he says he's seen Rear Window 60 times, which is only just a few less than I've seen it, because that's my favorite Oh, you're a good company. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what I noticed when we were doing this is that in the past, whatever, 20 years since Fincher really made his mark as a director, never once has he written or co-written a movie that he directed. Mm -hmm. Never once has he produced or executive produced a movie that he directed. It's like he just wants to direct as if just wasn't enough. And he does that really well. Now we are choosing to do David Fincher now because he has Gone Girl, which is out in cinemas this weekend. You got to see some. Don't tell me anything because I'm seeing it tonight. Okay, well, what I will tell you about Gone Girl is that it is great. It is one of David Fincher's best movies. But when we were putting the show together, we decided, you and I collectively, not to put Gone Girl in our Fast Five. And the reason for that was because there were just too many things about the movie that if we talked about it, we would be spoiling the fun. So what we want from our profilers, from our fans uh, in in Schmoville and everywhere is when you see Gone Girl, Mm -hmm. you let us know, you let me and Alicia know on our Facebook fan page, Profiles with Malona Mance on the Schmozno Network, you tweet us at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, and go to our new Twitter account, Profiles SK, which is our fan run, and let us know where you think where you think Gone Girl belongs in our Fast Five on David Fincher. But to give you all out there an idea of what Gone Girl is all about, without giving much away, we've got a little bit of the trailer to play for you. So, Phil, if you'd be so kind to roll it for us. Nick Dunn, you're probably the most hated man in America right now. Did you kill your wife, Nick? Everyone told us and told us Marriage is hard work. Not for me and Nick. As you all know, my wife, Amy Elliott Dunn, disappeared three days ago. 
I had nothing to do with the disappearance of my wife. I have nothing to hide. Sammy got friends we can talk to? No, not really. You don't know if she has friends, you don't know what she does all day, and you don't know your wife's blood type. He's being a good guy, so everybody can see him being a good guy. Boy, you really don't like him, do you? All I'm trying to do is be nice to the people who are volunteering to help find Amy. I will practice believing my husband loves me, but I could be wrong. You ever seen that guy in the glasses before? Amy is the kind of girl who attracts admirers. Whoever took her is bound to bring her back. I'm hoping you can tell me what this means. You want to solve Amy's treasure hunt? You seen this girl around here? Yeah, I remember her. I know you. I saw you at the volunteer center. I wanted to help. What'd she want? She wanted a gun. We are all scared, but we are all here now. I feel like something to be jettisoned if necessary. I feel like I could disappear. Whoa! So excited. I have two words for you. Yeah. These words are going to resonate really strong up until the end of February at the Academy Awards. Those two words are Rosamund Pike. Oh. Wow. She is fantastic I in this can't movie. Wait. I love the book, so I can't wait to see it. Anyway, before we get into our own Fast Five, we should take a look a bit more of Finch's life. And what a life. In our segment we call It's, it's a, a Wonderful, wonderful life. life. And we have a little video to play. So Roll it, Phil. Roll it. His name is David Andrew Leo Fincher, and he was born under usual circumstances in Denver, Colorado on August 28, 1962. Fincher started making movies at the age of eight with an eight millimeter camera after being inspired by the Western classic Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And in 1983, he was hired by George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic, where he worked as, get this, an assistant cameraman on Return of the Jedi. Fincher soon started directing TV commercials for the likes of Pepsi, Revlon, and Nike before moving on to become a two-time Grammy Award-winning music video director. Among his most famous videos were Paula Abdul's Straight Up, Billy Idol's Cradle of Love, and Madonna's Vogue. Fincher made his feature film directorial day debut with 1993's Alien 3. Though it was poorly received, Fincher made his stylish mark just two years later with Seven, which grossed more than $300 million worldwide, and he's been on a phenomenal roll ever since. Fincher has one child and has been nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Director. Mm. Wow, what an interesting life. And that's mm -hmm. even before he got to directing movies. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's interesting, too, how the news just sort of broke, how Fincher was in consideration to direct Star Wars Episode 7, but he didn't do it because he didn't feel like it would be a good fit. And when you know that he came from a commercial and music video background, it all makes sense. His style, his use of music, the great work he does with the Nine Inch Nails guys, oh, Trent Reznor, Atticus well, Ross, amazing. Amazing. And I just know, obviously, if we haven't already picked this up, is that Fincher had made a big impact on your life. Mm -hmm. What was your first book? Blood. My first blood was Fight Club. I saw it in 1999 when it came out. That was my last year of school. I was trying to decide what to do after school. I was living in Canberra at the time. My sister Yvette was living in Sydney and I had an idea that I maybe wanted to move to Sydney. I went to visit her. She's a big film buff like me and she loves to do really interesting movies. She loves uh -huh. interesting directors. So she said, let's go see Fight Club. And I sat in the theatre with my mouth wide open. I'd never seen anything like it before i loved every single second of it especially the dialogue went out bought chuck polanik's book straight away devoured that that introduced me to polanik's work uh, he became my 
favorite author. Good Fincher became my favorite <laughs> director. And I say, I have to say this, but he, he cha- that changed my life. Seeing that movie, I walked out of that movie and I went, I'm moving to Sydney and I want to do something with movies. Well, it's interesting because when I saw that film on October 15th, 1999, as soon as it was over, I went out, got back in line and I saw it <laughs> again. The only other time I ever did that in my life was with Inception. Wow. And well, my first blood going back a few years was Alien 3, which I saw in May of 1992. And for the record, Alicia, I think Alien 3 is a misunderstood movie. Mm -hmm. I like Alien 3. It's not Alien 1 or Aliens, Mm -hmm. but it is a lot better than Alien Resurrection. Definitely. And what I like about Alien 3 is it feels more like the first movie because it's just one alien just knocking off people one by one. It's a very moody, atmospheric, dark. The cinematography is great. All benchmarks for Fincher, even though he didn't enjoy the experience of making the movie. I still like it. Yeah, because the studio was heavily involved. And from then on, he vowed that he would do his own thing. And he definitely has. That leads us perfectly into Into our our fast fast five. five. Coming in at number five, Phil. This is the Zodiac speaking. Oh, Zodiac. Zodiac came out on March 2nd, 2007, based on a book by Robert Graysmith, played in the film by Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's a cartoonist for the San Francisco Chronicle who gets in way over his head. It stars my future husband, Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. That's his correct title. Thank you very much. Plus Iron Man and the Hulk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sure. Mark Ruffalo and uh, Robert Robert Downey Downey Jr. Jr. I love how Fincher used the strengths of each of these actors. You know, Jake has such a puppy dog eagerness about him, and he can become possessed with an idea really easily. We've seen that in films he's done before. Robert Downey Jr. can do self-destructive really well and this great rebel quality. Mark Ruffalo does the smart thing perfectly. You know, he often is angry over injustice and soft-spoken and just really studious and hardworking. And they really complement each other in this movie. Yeah. It captures the mood of the city, a city struck by the fear of the bogeyman, but it's also a really complex procedural thriller. There's so many facts in here. It is a procedural modeled after All the President's Men, Mm -hmm. which is one of Fincher's favorite movies. In fact, the musical score was composed by David Shire, who also did the musical score for All the President's Men. Perfectly. So perfect timing, right? Yeah. This movie was shot over 110 days. It came in under budget, which is really rare in Hollywood, and Fincher was actually the first choice to direct this movie. I love the cinematography. I know we keep Mm. talking about that, but where a lot of his other films, like Dragon Tattoo or even Benjamin Button... Very blue or gray. Monochromatic. Yeah. This one, the colors really pop. And actually, I went back and I pulled uh, the review I wrote back in 2007, and I said that it is a testament to Fincher's incredible talent that Zodiac doesn't just take place in the 70s, it looks and feels like it was actually made in the 70s. That's very true. It had that 70s vibe. I love how it's a film obsessed with details and Fincher is so great at attention to detail. Some of those scenes, I mean, that first murder scene. Oh, in the car. Oh, when the car stops and then it goes away and it comes back and the flashlight and the gun. You just don't know what's going to happen next. And how about that scene at the lake in Napa Valley Mm. in the most beautiful day? And again, a gorgeously shot scene. 
just having couple in love. Yeah, they're having a picnic. They're just in love. And then, literally. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, disturbing. It's so, so shocking. Two and a half hours, but, man, it flies by. And I recently got to chat to Robert Downey Jr. He's promoting The Judge. Yep. And I know that I'd read things that he and Fincher didn't always get along because Robert Downey has a great spontaneous style about him and Fincher likes to do a lot of takes, but he can work with spontaneity. Uh, I thought I should ask Robert Downey Jr. what he thought of David Fincher's work. And I've got a video to show you of that response. Oh, let's, let's, so let's see Let's have it. a look. Another film I just rewatched was Zodiac. Oh, boy. Doing a special on David Fincher. Okay. How do you describe him as a filmmaker? I genuinely love Fincher, and I, I'm so excited to see anything that he does, you know, come out. Um, and I remember, like, talking to him, and I was like, what are you doing? He's just making this Benjamin Button movie. I go, and how's it going? He goes, we're just waiting for a period car to start that's keeping 300 other cars from moving and doing the scene. And he has this <laughs> thing where no matter how difficult something is, he's just patiently waiting because... Ultimately, he's, you know, he's a very exacting director and uh, he makes great films. Wow. Isn't that great good? get, Alicia Malone. Yeah. That is awesome. I like when I said uh, a movie I just rewatched was Zodiac. He was like, oh boy, because he probably expected me to say Iron Man or one of his other more famous roles. He's fantastic in Zodiac. He's great in Zodiac. And you, you know, you can tell that he just perked up when he like, brought oh, that up. Literally perked up. Something interesting. Well, let's find out what our what our profilers in Schmoville had to say about Zodiac. Dane Owen. Our regular profiler, Dane <laughs> Owen, says, like the best kind of spiders imaginable, Fincher pulled me into the cinematic web of intrigue that is Zodiac, first with the grim yet beautiful imagery of 70s California, and then with the insanely engrossing murder mystery of the Zodiac killer. Each actor, like you said, Alicia, played their parts just right. Mm-hmm. I found Hall and Downey to be the big standouts. Fincher even managed to sweep me up in the same fear and paranoia that plagued the people of San Francisco. Yeah. I was uh, on the edge of my seat whenever somebody creepily walked into frame, hoping it wouldn't be the Zodiac looking for his next victim. Well, John Joseph Donald Rivet, or Rivet <laughs> says, I have to go with Zodiac only because it manages to be both creepy and yet smart at the same time. The direction works on an intellectual level. Everything works nicely and nothing feels out of place. It's a little long, but you never feel bored. Fincher directs the film with ease and everything about it looks beautiful. Fantastic. And by the way, again, that was awesome, talking to Downey about Zodiac. Oh, yeah. That is so cool. That was so cool. That is so great. Now, we were mentioning some of the scenes in Zodiac. There are many great Fincher scenes right. out there. For my right stuff, I'm not going with my favorite film, which is Fight Club. I am going with one from Social Network, and that is the opening scene oh. between Mark and Erica, because I think this really reflects the great marriage that was Sorkin's precise dialogue with Fincher's precise direction. They did that scene 99 times. Why not 100? Because Fincher didn't want to go to 100. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was like, we're not going to go to 100, <laughs> but I want to get it until it feels right. 99 times. I can't imagine because with Sorkin's dialogue too, actors have said, you can't miss a word because every single word is important. But that scene sets up the character of Mark Zuckerberg perfectly. You know, he's quite cold. He's got the ego. He gets easily offended. He's very smart, very insecure about his place in the social status of Harvard. 
And then he gets so enraged by that conversation, that is the impetus for him to create FaceMash, which then becomes Facebook. So that is a perfect introduction into that world, that scene. That is the inciting incident that sets the stage up until the very, very last frame mm-hmm. of that movie. We will definitely talk about that. And with all the details, with all the, the, the everything that goes into a Fincher movie, and the way he, you said he's 99 takes to film that yeah, scene. Yeah, incredible. Isn't it interesting that for a director who takes that long to film certain scenes that he still averages as a director a movie every two years yeah like you would think that he'd be like Kubrick where he put come out with a movie like every like five years <laughs> and then slowly every decade yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he really is maintaining such a, an incredible output mm-hmm. he's producing uh, House of Cards and directing episodes of that amazing but uh, a lot of details to David Fincher's movies mm-hmm. that brings us to the last detail and speaking of Zodiac did you know that Fincher originally wanted his muse of course that's Brad Pitt to play Paul Avery in Zodiac. Oh, which is the Robert Downey Jr. Yep. character. I think RDJ did it perfectly, but I could actually imagine Brad Pitt yep. doing that. Oh, sure. And I like the Fincher-Pitt relationship. They have a good friendship. Yes, they do. Well, did you know, I think you mentioned this briefly before, but when, to, uh, when asked to name his favorite films, Fincher mentioned a couple that we've talked about here on Profiles because Fincher has excellent taste. Yes, he does. He said Dr. Strangelove, Taxi Driver, Jaws, and then also mentioned things like All, All the, the President's, President's Men, Man. The Graduate, Alien, Citizen Kane. And if you look at his favorite films, you can really see them reflected in his movies. It's like he takes that old style, but then twists it and gives it something completely new and fresh and warped. He makes it his own. Mm -hmm. There is a Fincher movie and then there's everybody else. (laughs) Well, did you know that Fox, 20th Century Fox, originally wanted to play Marla in Fight Club they wanted Reese Witherspoon mm. because they felt like she would be a bigger box office draw, but she in turn thought the material was too dark and she passed. Yeah, interesting. I think I think it would be too dark for I, her, although she's got Wild coming out, which has a bit of darkness to it. But really, can you imagine Reese Witherspoon saying, no. I haven't been effed like that since grade school? <laughs> no, I cannot. No way. <laughs> no way. Well, did you know that a Starbucks cup <laughs> appears in many scenes of Fight Club? In fact, there's a website called Fight Club Starbucks box.tumblr.com which is dedicated to finding every single one in Fight Club. There's there's really too much time out there no. for a lot of people. Keep watching Fight Club, that's well, what I say. I, I got another one for you. Okay. Did you know that back in the late 90s Ron Howard was going to direct The Curious Case of Benjamin Button within the lead John Travolta. Oh. And even earlier than that, Steven Spielberg was in consideration to, to direct Benjamin Button within the lead. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Tom Cruise. Oh, it's like all our episodes of Profiles. Coming together. Coming together. Coming together as they should. As they should. Well, that leads us to our fourth movie in our Fast Five. We have another little audio cue to play from that one. Let's hear it, Phil. Meeting in the middle. I thought I caught up with the job. The Curious Case of oh, Benjamin, Benjamin Button, Button or the Curious Film in Fincher's filmography. Because it sticks out, but not, not really. Quite, yeah. This movie came out on December 25th, 2008. Kind of a perfect Christmas movie, if you think mm-hmm. about it. It was loosely and really loosely based on the short story written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. The movie was nominated for 13 Academy Awards. Alicia Malone. 13 of them. Of course, Best Picture and Best Director. Fincher's first 
as best director. Mm-hmm. His second came a couple years later. I think he's going to get his third next uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie was it won three Oscars, of course, for art direction, for makeup, for visual effects. Do oh. you know what it lost Best Picture to? Slumdog. Slumdog. Slumdog Millionaire. But this movie, A Curious Case of Benjamin Button, this is David Fincher's epic fairy tale it's his forest gump that's why it doesn't quite fit in because it's quite romantic it's inspirational it's more fantastical than he's done before beautifully constructed of course that we would know that we would expect that from fincher technical achievements are amazing the aging and de-aging still looks so good i mean it hasn't been that long since but it still amazes me every single time i watch it this film fills fills me with wonder i remember when i saw it at the premiere in sydney i sat there in the seat just for a while afterwards going whoa that was incredible but you know david fincher can be quite cynical and so he he (laughs) jokes about this movie and he says i want to see everyone as unhappy as me everyone dies in this movie that's how i was able to stomach it that sounds like something he would say (laughs) does it's dark but this was a film like you when it was over i remember when i saw it late december 2008 i saw it at the academy uh not not with the academy it was just at the academy and when it was over i just i had to stay in my seat Mm. i had to just absorb i didn't just want to walk out and lose the feeling that I had gained for the past two hours and 47 minutes. Yeah, can I, I read you one of my favorite quotes? Yes. Because it just inspires me like you were talking about. So this is when Benjamin is writing the letter to his daughter. So uh-huh. she's reading it in the future. I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things you never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. If you find that you're not, I hope you have the courage to start all over again. That is a, that is a quote that sums up this movie and that is why this is the kind of movie that can really make you change your life yeah I know it gets a bad rap from some people for being so poetic and inspirational and yeah how did he know about Daisy's accident how did he know all these things that were happening that didn't uh, I say you're too cynical just enjoy it enjoy it embrace it it's so beautifully written adapted by Eric Roth who wrote the screenplay for Forrest Gump and another you can tell it's very similar it's very similar (laughs) but I do want to point out too the score composed by Alexander Desplat it is absolutely gorgeous and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to stay in my seat when the movie was over because I just wanted to savor that film Mm. till the very last drop Mm. beautiful well Schmoville also loves the curious case of Benjamin Button our good mate Dan Skip Allen yo Dan go Dan (laughs) says one of the best special effects and makeup jobs in history Benjamin Button ages the title character backwards over 80 years Brad Pitt never once wavers in his performance David Fincher creates a time capsule of a film wrapped in an epic love story. The performances. The performances Brad are great. And Kate. Brad, it's the performance of his career. No yeah. question about it. And he's really been doing amazing work, especially lately. Another profiler that we love so much, Cole Boone, says, hey. Benjamin Button was my first blood. By the way, thank you for using our terminology yeah, here. I love that. This could be Brad Pitt's greatest performance. Shocker, we just said that. <laughs> as he plays a man who accepts himself for who he is and always looks to find the positives in people. Like your quote, Mm-hmm. Uh, his relationship with Daisy, played by the always great Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett, remember that name, <laughs> are some of the best romance scenes in film, in my opinion. It is the humor, drama, romance, and emotions of these characters that make this one of my favorite films, 
period. Oh, well, another thing that Fincher does so well because he has such an eye for designing is he does great post-its. Oh, sure, yeah. And he's involved with the making of the posters too. And the trailers, yeah. He and does the trailers. trailers. So in our segment we call The Big, Big picture, picture, we have a video with our three favourite movie posters. Let's have a look. Seven deadly sins, seven ways to die. So said the tagline for 1995-7. Film stars Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman seem to all but disappear into the ominous one-sheet that perfectly matched the tone for this stylish thriller. So what's in the box? <laughs> Mischief, mayhem, soap. Oh, Fight Club was all that and so much more. We further analyze this one sheet featuring a bruised and battered Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, but we'd be breaking the first two rules of Fight Club. And we'd friend request this one sheet for 2010's The Social Network, which featured Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg hidden behind the attention-grabbing tagline, you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. Anytime Fight Club comes up, we're like, yeah! Yo, Fight Club! We Fight can't contain Club! ourselves! And we have to talk about Fight Club again in our segment called The, the Player, Player. Because Tyler Durden from Fight Club, played by Brad Pitt, one of the best movie characters ever. Definitely. So cool. Effortlessly so. He's a rebel. He's a leader. And I think he says it best. He's an anarchist. But he says it best when he says, I look like you want to look. I uh, like you want to. Uh. I'm smart, capable and free in all the ways you're not. Brad Pitt was hilarious as yeah. Tyler Durden. A lot of people don't see that as a funny role. But like when he's like in the bedroom with his nunchucks while Edward Norton is on the phone. <laughs> he's like, wah! I mean, it's so great. But yeah, I mean, his style. I remember that bathrobe. Yeah. That he wore. Yeah. You know, yep, all yep. the Project Mayhem people are walking around his home and he's sitting there with a coffee and he's got this like white dirty bathrobe with all the coffee cups on it. But yes, Tyler <laughs> awesome. Turden, one of his best uh, best roles. And uh, also Elizabeth Salander. Yeah, Elizabeth Salander, who was played by Rooney Mara in Finch's version of The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. She's Watson to Blunkvista's <laughs> Sherlock, Sherlock, but just in a very twisted, warped way. But she's a rule breaker. She sets her own rules. She's a hacker. Very, very, very smart but she's also quite a, a sympathetic character you feel a lot of sympathy for her because she has been abused time and time again survivor though she's not a victim she's not a victim it's a great strong character Rooney Mara played it great she was nominated for an Oscar she really got piercings so she could look the part <laughs> yeah, so cool. and she she kept some of those piercings so she can do the sequel Lucky. and I think it's time for us to point out something about the girl with the dragon tattoo mm -hmm. why we didn't put it in our fast five because we both saw the Swedish version first yeah I yeah. feel like if, if I hadn't seen the Swedish, Swedish version first I would have definitely put it in the Fast Five because I love that movie yeah Fincher did add his great style to it and it is perfect for his style again it's a procedural thriller and it has a really dark story and a dark look about it I love the opening titles of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo Girl with the Dragon the Tattoo song. It, it's a great great opening titles and I thought Rooney and Daniel Craig together were had better chemistry than, than the, the two actors in the, in the, in the Swedish, Swedish version. version but the Swedish version is so good the Swedish version is good I'm with you I wish I hadn't seen the Swedish version I probably mm -hmm. would have liked this movie a whole lot more I don't really have anything bad to say about it the only problem was I felt like I'd seen it already exactly. and that's just not that's why it wasn't in our fast five but exactly. moving on to another great character in one of David Fincher's films John Doe John Doe from Seven played by Kevin Spacey who you don't actually know it's going to be Kevin Spacey until later on Detective. in the film 
Because he he took his name out of the opening titles, which I think is really, really smart. smart. He is a warped genius, John Doe. He's pretty clever the way he is a puppeteer and organizes all these crimes uh, with the seven deadly sins. But uh, he's cold and he's calculating and you hate him. At the same time, you can't help marvel at what he's done. It's also kind of funny. Remember, remember they go out you Remember they go out in the middle of uh, nowhere yeah. and they're like, what's that? Uh, it's a dead dog. And he goes, I, I didn't, didn't do, do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> the whole running theory just was like, ha, ha, ha. Like they were all nervous. But yeah, that was such great casting because you didn't see him coming. No, And it's just all. a brilliant, brilliant character. And Amy Dunn Amy from, from, from Gone, Gone Girl. Girl. Uh, we're not going to reveal anything about the character because I feel, I haven't seen the film, but from the book, she has a lot of secrets. But I will say that I love that she is a Hitchcock blonde. You know, she is very interesting. Maybe not what's, what she what she seems. Grace Kelly, Kim Novak. Uh, she's regal, pristine, cool. And Hitchcock always said, you don't suspect a blonde. You suspect a brunette. Well, I, I suspect this. I suspect this. Yeah. That Rosamund Pike... After 12 years of doing exceptional work in movies, a lot of supporting roles, like in education, Mm -hmm. she did great work with Tom Cruise and Jack Reacher. This is the role that will break her out finally. She deserves it. She's fantastic. She is going to get nominated for sure. And and again, this is just like the performance of her career. Long, long time coming, but the payoff will be huge. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Okay. Let's keep going with our quiz show. Oh, yay. So do you want to hit me with yours I'll hit you with mine first because I know you're going to know the answer. I know a lot about Fincher, so hopefully. No one I know knows more about Fincher than you do. Okay. So, okay. You're ready for this one, Alicia Mm -hmm. Malone? How many times in Fight Club do you see the quick subliminal flashes of Tyler Durden before he makes his first act? Damn, she is (laughs) good. This girl is good. Fight Club, I know. Fight Club, that was a a given, right? Okay, Okay, let's hear it. Let's uh, see if you get this one. So in order to direct 2002's Panic Room, Fincher turned down another movie which ended up coming out in 2002 with a different director. Okay. Was it? Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report, Red Dragon, or Insomnia? Okay, well, Red Dragon, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say Red Dragon because I feel like that'd be too obvious because it was sort of a serial mm-hmm. tour kind of movie. That's why I chose that uh, one to uh, put in there. Uh, okay, well, Tricky. Uh, good one, good one. Process of Elimination, Minority Report has his look. Yep. But again, I'm going to say that wasn't Minority Report. Yep, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Catch Me If You Can. Correct. Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, can you imagine that done by Fincher? Uh, no, actually I can't. No. That has a very Spielberg sensibility to it, it doesn't does, it? It does, definitely. Okay, Although so I we're good. I would love to see Leonardo in a Fincher film because I think he would be perfect. But the way Leo works with all these great directors, Fincher has to be next. Has to. He has come to. Come on, Leo. Let, let, come on, Leo. Let's do this. Okay, our third movie in, in our Fast, Fast Five. Five. Let's hear it. We have another audio cue for you. What's in the box? What's, what's in, in the, the box? box? Seven. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. What's what can you not say about Seven? This movie was released on September twenty second, nineteen ninety five. Was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Film Editing. It's a morality tale. I love how Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman's detectives have two very different perspectives. Somerset played by Freeman has uh, sees the violence in human nature and he knows it's unstoppable whereas Pitts Mills takes longer to see it but ends up playing right into John Doe's hands he becomes wrath and I like how John Doe 
he really represents exactly what Somerset thinks about society, his vision of society. It is dark, it is gritty, it's always raining. Interesting that the only moment of daylight is the scariest moment, and that is what's in the box. Wow, that's a good point. Mm. You're right. And also interesting is it, it is raining a lot. And when I was watching the movie again, I'm like, wait a minute, where, what city does this take place in? I always assumed New York, but there is nothing to say New York. Maybe that's the point. Yeah. Like it just be any city. Any. Yeah, because where's the desert if it's in New York? Well, right. Uh, that's make what sense. makes you think it's in L.A. because they just drove out to the <laughs> but desert. But L.A. never rains. So that doesn't make sense either. So, But you know what? That's all great. Like just wondering where could this have <laughs> taken place? But yeah, so scary, creepy, haunting thriller. This is the movie without question that put David Fincher on the map mm. as a major visionary film director. Yes. And uh, this movie was written by Andrew Kevin Walker. He wrote it over the course of two years while he was working at Tower Records. <laughs> oh, wow. So I guess he was having a bad time. I got a question for you, though. Yeah. When I was watching the movie, I was, you know, that there's all these references to, like, the Canterbury Tales and Paradise Lost and mm-hmm. Milton and and uh, and Brad Pitt goes and he, he gets Cliff's Notes. Yeah. Did you have Cliff's Notes in Australia? No. No? I only learned what Cliff's Notes were from movies. And TV shows. It took me so long to figure it out. This is pre-internet, so I couldn't just look it up. I was like, what is Cliff Notes? Cliff Notes were great. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I had them during school. That would have been helpful. It's it's really interesting, too, when you watch this film again, something I realised is you don't actually see that much. It's horrific. It's scary. But it's mainly what you imagine. Like, you never see what's in the box. The imagination is the best special effect. And that's very Hitchcockian. But do you think, because a lot of people actually commented, that they wish they had seen what no. was in the box. It's better that you don't. No. You know what's in the box, yeah, people. I don't need Come to on. See it. It's pretty depressing film. But I... It's also fascinating that usually in a serial killer movie, the death of the murderer at the end is like, oh, relief. Here, it's it's like a sense of hopelessness because his plan worked. How about that scene in the bed when they go, they find the guy, sloth? he's tied up, sloth, he's tied up. Oh my God. And then the, the cop leans over and thinking, oh, this guy is dead, he's oh. done. And then he just like, ah! Everybody in theater just like jumped. It was terrifying. Oh, so terrifying. What is in the box indeed? What is in the box? But uh, our friends in Schmelville, our profilers like uh, Cathal Thomas Coleman, had this to say about Seven. The mood is so unsettling from start to finish, but is masterfully written, directed, shot, edited, and musically scored. Not to mention the acting, which is top notch. Brad Pitt gives the finest performance of his career next to Benjamin Button, in my opinion, or Flight Club in our opinion. (laughs) I remember this being one of the first DVDs I ever bought. I think Jurassic Park was the first for the record. Thank you, Cathal. (laughs) Well, Daniel Epler says, Seven is my favorite Fincher film and it is the most twisted crime film I've ever seen. Also the most brilliant. The movie is so well-crafted, constantly has a dark and frightening tone. The city almost feels like another character in its filthy, decaying atmosphere. Even though it doesn't take long to meet the killer, he still feels like every bit as much of a threat while in handcuffs. Just like the Joker. Just like the Joker. I'll go with that. Excellent analogy. Okay, so our good, bad, the ugly this week is going to be a little different because I love Fincher so much. So it's just good, good. And the good. Good for me. So what is your underrated? Well, my underrated. Which is my good. And I think, yeah, it's still good. Still good is the game. I like the game. Game is an underrated film. Came out in uh, 1997 on September 12th. 
I, Michael Douglas playing sort of the quintessential Michael Douglas character mm-hmm. has the rug pulled out from under his life and it's a great mystery like where is this going what's behind the game the end I remember is it's just it doesn't really work for me it's it a bit over a the top too far, it but goes too far I like as the audience you're also playing the game because you're not quite sure what is real and what is a hoax I know Fincher says he doesn't really like the game so much, but I still find it enjoyable. Same with Panic Room. Panic Room. Which is fine. It's, it's fine. pretty good. Yes, it's fine. It's a, it, It's not a bad movie. No. It's just not a great movie. In fact, I went back to my review from 2002. What did you say? And uh, this is what I had to say about Panic Room. While not an artistic breakthrough that... Fincher's fans may have come to expect, it will still keep you on the edge of your seat with more engaging suspense than you'll find in most Hollywood movies these days. That is true for 2002, and that is true for 2014. Yeah, it's a very conventional film for Fincher, but I like how it uses the physical space of the home for tension, and the cinematography is fantastic, plus the the sound design, the score as usual with uh, Fincher. And then we also talked about Dragon Tattoo already, which and, I like. And and look, again, I know I said it before, but Alien 3, it's, a, it's not bad. It's mm. not bad. Mm-hmm. It's just watch Alien Resurrection and then go back and watch Alien 3. And you'll yeah. see Alien 3 is actually pretty decent. <laughs> well, let's go to your right stuff now. Well, like you, Alicia Malone, my right stuff came from The Social Network. Mm-hmm. And this was a scene towards the end of the movie after Eduardo Saverin goes, goes to Facebook headquarters thinking he's in the money. And he finds out that he's Lawyer been up. completely screwed out of the deal. Lawyer up a-hole. Mm-hmm. What a scene. When he storms out of the briefing room, he smashes, boom, Mark Zuckerberg's computer. And what I love about that scene is that that is the only time throughout the course of the movie where you see Zuckerberg show any kind of remorse. Mm. He really does feel bad that he screwed over his best friend. Mm. But that is a great scene. Again, Andrew Garfield was fantastic in that What movie. a great scene. And something wonderful that's been happening on Schmoville, the a Facebook fan page is that people are creating their own brackets to go along with profiles. Oh, these brackets profiles. are great. So this week they took, it was Joshua Stein and Cole Boone who, who headed up these brackets and they took the best directed Fincher scenes. So when it came down to it, the semifinals were between the Napa Valley Killings in Zodiac and Lawyer Up, the one you just mentioned from Social Network, and then setting the example versus what's in the box, both from Seven. Got down to the finals, which was Lawyer Up versus What's in the Box. I think I know where this the is going. The winner, What's, was, in, what's the in the Box. This is such an emotional scene. Every single time it makes me cry. And I put a comment when they announced the winner that I also love the bit afterwards in the helicopter where the guy is screaming <laughs> like, someone call someone. Someone just call someone. Somebody call someone. Somebody call someone. Somebody this call is, somebody. He, he's so freaked out. He doesn't know what to do. <laughs> and that so are we. <laughs> but it, I just want to say something about these brackets. I mean, you know, the last two months since we've been doing profiles, the fact that that all our fans, all our profilers- Getting involved. They're so involved. It makes me so happy. It makes us so happy because we just love that Profiles is connecting with people. The mm-hmm. show isn't just for us, it's for everyone. Everyone who loves movies and everyone has an opinion. Everyone's in on the debate, that the analysis, the fun that we are having with this. Mm. So for everyone out there who is watching, please support Profiles by going to iTunes, rating and reviewing us. This is really, really important. We really need your ratings and reviews 
so we can keep coming back week after week and we have so many filmmakers and actors and actresses that oh, we are going to get to so many go to uh, Schmo's No for your all your movie news yeah and subscribe to youtube.com slash Schmo's No podcast that's where you can see all the great podcasts in the Schmo's No network especially profiles <laughs> and I love that like the, the profilers are they're anticipating what the Fast Five is going to be they're saying yeah. what their first blood is what their right stuff they're is they're trying to find out what's next week yes you have to of, wait for that they one. gotta wait yeah they're hitting me up too and I'm like nope you gotta wait <laughs> well shall we continue with our number Fast two five, number two and this one is the social network we have a little audio to play if you guys were the inventors of Facebook Facebook. That is such a great line. Great line. Great movie. Released October 1st, 2010. Nominated for eight Academy Awards. and won three for score, editing, and adapted screenplay for Aaron Sorkin. Uh, this was Fincher's second nomination for Best Director. Again, Andrew Garfield, totally snubbed for supporting actor. Uh, There's great hair, too. Great, yeah, he does have great hair in this movie. But this movie, this movie, Alicia Malone, Here's my story about Social Network. Okay. So I saw the movie on September 26, 2010. Mm -hmm. Saw it at Sony. I was driving home. I was driving down La Cienega, that little shortcut that we take. Mm -hmm. And uh, it occurred to me, it hit me like a ton of bricks, that the Social Network is the Citizen Kane of the 21st century. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Because right now, we have a very special guest joining us on the phone. My favorite author, so I'm trying to hold it together, wrote Fight Club, Chuck, Paul and Nick. Thank you so much for joining us. You are on the air with Alicia Malone and Scott Matz. How Hi, you Chuck. Doing? How did you know it was me? I just phoned up. <laughs> we guessed. We guessed. Now, Fight Club, I saw it and I said before on this program that it changed my life. And then I went and I got your book straight away. I devoured it. And then I bought all your books since. <laughs> so I just wanted to know, what was it like meeting David Fincher for the first time? And how did you know that he would be the right director to bring your book to the screen? He seemed like a really... Polit politically savvy guy and he knew how to make this completely unmakeable thing and he had a lot of strategies in place already so that his cut would be the cut that the studio would have to release uh, I was just so impressed by all this craftiness mm. Well, how, did, how closely did you work with screenwriter Jim Yules on the adaption of your book obviously this is your baby you want to make sure it's in the right hands so what were some of the challenges in adapting the book for the big screen you know, I didn't work that close with Jim. I reviewed his work afterwards, and his job was to get as much of the book in as possible. But, uh, I, you know, I didn't want to do his job. I wanted uh, other people to love what they did instead of, you know, waiting for my approval. Wow. Uh, well, I loved reading the book after I saw the film. All I could think about was Brad Pitt and Edward Norton in those characters. What did you think about the casting of those roles? It was dream casting. <laughs> And that was the first talk that I had with David was about the female lead at the time that uh, Courtney Love was living with Edward Norton. Mm. And she seemed so perfect. And, and she was going out to dinner with Edward and with Art Linson, really, really lobbying for the part. But David wanted to cast it against type. He was so invested in Helena and he was so right. Yeah, the casting in this movie is really, really fantastic. Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Tyler, uh, Tyler so Edward good. Norton as the narrator. Yeah, but yeah, were you on the set at all during principal photography? Did you like go and hang out and see David Fincher in action? I did, and it was so much fun to 
to hear him talk about uh, the fact that he would not allow an EPK crew on the set. He didn't want people documenting it. Because he said, without an EPK, an an electronic press kit, then the studio would need him to help promote the movie. And the only way that he would help promote it is if it was his final cut. Mm. So by excluding an EPK crew, Fincher was kind of uh, hamstringing the studio so that he would get his way. <laughs> that is clever. <laughs> well, what did you think when you finally saw the, the final cut of the movie? What was your first impression? Um, you know, I kind of lived through the real thing. So it was like seeing this lavish, beautiful uh, documentary about my friends and I. Mm. Wow, that's very, very cool. The, the, you had said, I've read this in other, in other places, that you know, an author, when, when their book is adapted for the big screen, there's a lot of fear that they might lose the feel for the book. They might not be happy with it. But I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually heard you or read that you felt that Fight Club, the movie, actually improved in some ways on the book. Do you really feel that way? It, it did, because there was a lot of tangential stories and uh, asides in the book that didn't need to be there. I put them there because my friends had asked to have them included. <laughs> yeah, I loved the book. And it, after the movie, would you say that it helped your career in any way? <laughs> you know, before the movie, the book had barely sold 10,000 copies. Wow. And then after the movie, the book just will not stop selling. Well, it still won't. <laughs> you know, when Fight Club was first released on October 15th, 1999, the reviews were mixed, and that is, like, really polarized. People either loved it or they hated it. And just FYI, you're talking to two people right now love it. who not only loved it, but it changed our lives yes. and made us go in this direction. That's why we're talking to you right now. But over the years, Fight Club has really gotten a lot more respect. The tide has really changed. I actually read that some magazines pulled their original reviews, the bad ones, from their website for Flight Club because it has become such a classic and well-respected movie. How gratifying is it to you? And and I'm sure to David, that Flight Club has just taken on this resonance in the last 15 years. Well, it's kind of typical of movies like Flight Club, movies that really challenge the dominant paradigm when they first come out. Harold and Maude got fantastically poor reviews and Night of the Living Dead got fantastically poor reviews. Uh. Just name any movie that is a, a classic now, and when it first came out, uh, it was just lambasted. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, It's a Wonderful Life didn't even get great reviews when I came out in 46, no. but we're digressing here. <laughs> well, I love the dialogue in the movie and from your words so much that my next tattoo I want is I'm Jack's complete lack of surprise. <laughs> Have you seen uh, tattoos of your work before? <laughs> Uh, thousands at this point. Yeah, there wow. must be. That is great. A lot of Fight Club ones, I imagine. Well, I understand that not only are we talking about Fight Club because it is the 15th anniversary of the movie on October 15th, but I understand that you are revisiting Fight Club with a sequel series published as a 10-issue maxi-series on Dark Horse Comics. So tell me about, tell us about this uh, Fight Club sequel and why you felt like the time was right to return to those characters. Well, it seemed like the original book was so really uh, tough on fathers. It really uh, trashed fathers a lot. And so 10 years down the road, I wanted the narrator to be a father and to realize that he was doing an even worse job at being a father than his father had. And also, I had no idea that I would be talking about Fight Club for the rest of my life. So I thought, why not 
expand the story 10 years down the road and start to create more of a mythology out of it. Wow, that's fantastic. I cannot wait to read it. And just a quick question before we let you go. Other than Fight Club, do you have a favorite David Fincher film? Have you seen many of his movies? You know, I am a sucker for the game, the yeah. movie that everyone can get. Yeah, we were just talking and, uh, about the game. <laughs> the uh, you know, the moment when uh, Michael Douglas dives off the building is so reminiscent of the moment I loved in Aliens 3, where Sigourney Weaver dives into the furnace. Uh, I just love that whole movie. Well, I, I'm with you on Alien 3 as well. And your next novel, Beautiful You, comes out on October 24th, uh, 21st. What can you tell us about this book? What was your inspiration behind this next next book, Beautiful You? Beautiful You is, I'm trying to invent something called Gonzo Erotica, mm. which oh. is incredibly filthy erotica, but it's written in the euphemisms of romance novels and politically empowering sort of uh, language. I'm and there. So it is fantastic. It's Marquita Saad meets Barbara Cartland meets Gloria Steinem. Oh, I am buying that one. What? I buy all your books, though, Chuck. I love them so much. Chuck, we, we, are, we are so thankful and grateful for your generosity and calling into Profiles. And I cannot wait to hear, uh, I'm sure I'll read about it somewhere, what you think of Gone Girl, because it's a great movie. And Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. You and made us both very happy, especially my co-host, Alicia Yeah, thank Malone. you so much for all your work. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You take care. You thank too. You. Thanks so much. Cool. That was very, very cool. I, I honestly, I became so obsessed with his books uh, after seeing Fight Club, and I never would have expected I would ever get to talk to him. So I teased that on uh, Profiles with Malone and Matt's Facebook page earlier, going, I'm so excited. How am I going to keep it together? And people were guessing who it was. Jake Gyllenhaal was like, no, that would have been cool too. But Chuck Polinick for me, mm-hmm. that is such a special moment. That so, was That's great yeah. to have him on the show. Way to go, Alicia Thank you to you for setting Woo-hoo. that up. Well, can we get back into the social network, please? We have to get back to the social network. Citizen Citizen Kane of the 21st century. Well, here's the deal. So, okay, in Citizen Kane, Charles Foster Kane presided over newspapers. In the social network, Mark Zuckerberg presides over the internet. Mm -hmm. What do both provide? Information. Information. They're both moguls. I mean, Charles Foster Kane rose very, very fast, and so did Mark Zuckerberg. They're best friends in Citizen Kane. Jedediah Leland, character Mm -hmm. played by Joseph Cotton, gets screwed over by his best friend that he helped, or that helped him, rise to the top. Mm -hmm. In in Social Network, Mark Zuckerberg screws over Edward Saverin, played by played brilliantly by Andrew Garfield. Yes. The movies, both of them, they even have their own Rosebud. In Citizen Kane, Rosebud is a sled. sled. In Social Network, Rosebud is... Erica. Erica, played by Rooney Mara. And that moment at the end where he just keeps refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And I think that is such a brilliant theory and I agree with you on every level. I also see a bit of The Great Gatsby in there. Oh, yeah. Because it's so much about social classes, being a social outsider, wanting a certain social status and what you will do to get that status. I never would have expected, I mean, trust Fincher to be able to do this, but I never would have expected a film about computer programming and creating a website could be suspenseful It's like a thriller. Fascinating. I mean, you know, whenever they've done movies like that in the past about hackers or, or computer programmers, my eyes roll back in my head. I, it's 
bores me to tears. <laughs> yeah. But that is the power, not just of Fincher, but of Aaron Sorkin. His Oscar-winning screenplay is brilliant. When I interviewed oh. him for The Social Network, I told him about my theory, and I said, "Is was you trying to model this after Citizen Kane? He says, absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, yes, it okay. I mean, based my whole review around it. Well, the dialogue really shines in this film, and that's where all the drama comes from. Fincher largely kept his style out of it apart from the great cinematography the great performances Jesse Eisenberg is incredible and the score with Trent Reznor Atticus Ross brilliant eerie mood with that score but I like that except for one scene it's not that stylish so the one scene that I love because it has Finch's style all over it is the rowing scene right where it's done with the tilt shift cameras so it makes everything look small and everything look like toys because my theory is the Winklevi the Winklevi their world was child's play compared to what Mark Zuckerberg was building at that point can we give a shout out can we give a shout out to the Winklevi Army Hammer? I thought he was twins when uh, I first saw it. I, I had didn't know who he was. no idea until after I saw the film that it was one actor playing two characters. Yeah. I really thought they were twins because I'd never seen Army Hammer before. Mm-hmm. I got to say, because of that reason, because of obviously the special effects were, were terrific, but. Army Hammer also probably should have been nominated for this role because it was not one, but two great performances. And I love that line. I'm 6'5", 220, and, and there's, there's two, two of me. me. It's definitely great. a character-driven piece. There's no obvious sides, no good guys or bad guys, no real heroes or villains. It actually challenges you in what you think of a hero on the screen and a villain on the screen because they they swap and change you can kind of understand mark at some points and you hate him at some points you can understand eduardo at some points or the winklevi and then vice versa well here's what i can't understand here's what i can't understand alicia how the social network lost best picture and best best director to the king's speech how did that happen i know how did that happen i know king's speech is good king's speech is good but social network i mean it makes such great comments on social media and how these days we've never been so connected but so disconnected at the same time at the same time and And a little bit of trivia for you yes you know i love (laughs) uh during the scene when mark zuckerberg is on facebook looking up uh things for his art project and eduardo's like oh you're cheating the name on the facebook page that he's looking at Tyler Durden. Oh, always bringing it back to Flight Club, this one, as she should. All right, well, quickly we'll read out what Schmoville had to say about Social Network. Garen Howells says, The Social Network is pure cinema at its finest. It manages to seamlessly blend all aspects of cinema, from the score to the screenplay to the cinematography and the performances, all thanks to the guy at its helm. Finch's directorial style helps to elevate the rest of the production to give the audience one of the most complete movie-going experiences possible. Simply put, The Social Network is one of the most thought-provoking, defining masterpieces of the past decade. Couldn't, could not agree more, Garen. I mean, it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Cody Bradley, another profiler from Schmoville, has to say, The Social Network is probably one of the few modern films you could almost call perfect. Uh, I am calling it perfect, and I know you are too, Alicia. Yeah. It wasn't Fincher's traditional crime thriller, but the movie still feels so Fincher. He put his stamp on it. Mm. The look in which he em- em- emulated success and the girl with the dragon tattoo and it looks like Gone Girl for that matter mm-hmm. and I can vouch for that yes Jesse Eisberg gave a performance most people thought he wasn't capable of no longer was he just the grade B Michael Sarah. ouch <laughs> and Andrew Garfield totally snubbed for a best supporting actor nomination totally agree still say the social network was robbed of its best picture award phenomenal film you bet 
You bet. Yeah, and it does have that procedural feel about it too, social network, because they're going through the case. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So quickly, we'll go through our adaptation. There are some directors that maybe influenced is a strong word, maybe just has a similar similar style to and, Fincher. And especially in the sense that they make great movies that are challenging yeah. and ambitious. They have their own thing going on. Their own thing going on, of course, the first one. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. The cinematography for me, the, the darkness. The, and the, the characters. Yeah. And the fact that he is every step of the way changing challenging yep. his audience to stay with it. Interesting fact in Fight Club, Marla Singer's phone number is the same as Teddy's phone number in, in Memento. Memento. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there you go. There you go. Another director who it didn't occur to me until I really thought a lot harder about it. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Staron Aronofsky. Yeah. Especially the psychological aspect of his movies. Like look at Black Swan. Yeah. That Requiem feels, for a Dream. Requiem Ooh. for a Dream. Feels very Fincheresque. The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. Uh, and another director I know this might be two directors I should say <laughs> this might be a bit more of a stretch but in terms of the cinematography uh, I'm going to go with the Wachowskis and what they did with The Matrix yeah it is that dark style although I could never see someone like Fincher directing a Matrix movie no. but still you know alright now it is time for our Fast Five number, number one. one we have some audio for you what it could is it be? of course what could it be it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything of course it has to be Fight Club I love this movie movie in the most absurd way i watched it again last night and i think i was just bouncing in my seat like this i was so excited this is for me it's dr jekyll and mr hyde meets uh rebel without a cause i can't understand the bad reviews executives didn't get it at first like we're talking to chuck about rex reed from the new york observer said this is a film without a single redeeming quality which may have to find its audience in hell well, they found me in hell. I'm right there with them. I'm happy to be in hell with you, Alicia. Ugh. And I tell you, one thing I noticed, well, first of all, when I went back to watch this movie again, it had been a while, and I had the Blu-ray, which I bought five years ago. It was yeah. the 10th anniversary edition. So I put the disc in my player, close it, and then the menu comes up, and it's for Never Been Kissed. What? And I'm looking at the box. I'm like, wait a minute. Did, did they manufacturing they screw up, up? Yeah. and then as soon as I thought that the, the, the screen flashed oh. and then there's the menu for Fight Club and I went oh that is so cool I love that so Fincher too it's so Fincher and watching the movie again I have to say as much as I loved it I, I was able to rediscover the movie and I, I still stand by how I felt back 15 years ago it is a fantastic film but there's no way there is no way they would have made that movie after 9-11 no not with all the terrorism the terrorism and then of course the very very last real. scene his name is Robert Paulson but this his name is Robert Paulson his name is Robert Paulson it's a bold daring ambitious film polarized everyone mm-hmm. but this movie came out October 15th 1999 what a great year 1999 was for movies Magnolia the Sixth Sense. Being John Malkovich. American Beauty. Three Kings. Three Kings. Uh, you've got the Eyes Insider. Wide Eyes Wide Shut. Thank you for Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Well, this is, I say this year, as I was talking about with Fight Club, is a year that really shaped me because this was the year I left school, the year I decided to move to Sydney, the year I decided that I wanted to do something with movies. I didn't know what at that stage, but I wanted to do something. And these films, honestly gave me the impetus to do all that. I just felt like I wanted to be part of that adventure. 
Well, across the pond, Alicia, I was going through a similar transformation just like you did. Because at that time, I was at a crossroads of my career. I loved movies. I didn't really know where I fit in the movie business because I don't want to make movies. I just love watching them. Mm. I just love watching them and talking about them Mm -hmm. and writing about them. And that summer, starting with Eyes Wide Shut in July, I started. That was my first review. And then it went into like The Sixth Sense and The Iron Giant, then American Beauty, and then, and then. The Three Kings and then October oh, 15th. Like Jones and David O. Russell and all those great direct PTA, all those great directors Magnolia. that were happening at that time in and 99. Kubrick. That was the defining moment for me. I quit my job. I started reviewing movies for websites that don't even exist anymore. Yeah. But that led me into this direction. And that's why I am here with you right now on Profiles talking about David Finch. And Fight Club is one of the defining films of the 90s. It's got such a cult following now and for good reason. All about the destruction of the American dream. But it's very ambiguous. So you can add your own meaning to it. Also a lot about masculinity, about... uh, male sexuality about male relationships about consumerism consumerism, the things you own end up owning you yep Uh, i love what it says about advertising self-improvement masturbation (laughs) you know how about that opening scene in the brain in the nervous system and the dust brothers music is going on the cgi the special effects in this uh beautifully packaged it looks very mtv it looks like an ad itself so many layers so many details we could spend so long in it uh the dialogue as we're talking with chuck about all singing all saying all singing all dancing crap of the world but one of these days we're going to do profiles just on fight club yeah can we right yes consider it done because i also love how at one point the narrator says when he's going to the self-help groups when people think you're dying they really really listen to you I think that goes for the whole movie because it starts out with the gun in his mouth. Right. So he's got a captive audience for the whole film. Great, great stuff. And let's Love find out what our, what our friends in Schmoville had to say, our profilers like Danny Birdsall, who says, Fight Club is the kind of movie, the more you watch it, the better it gets. Yes. That's for sure. I was blown away. So were we. The dialogue is like nothing else. You remember almost every line and it really gets you thinking. It also has one of the most creative uses of narration and fourth wall breaking in a film that gives it a unique style the themes and ideas are enough to leave you thinking as well as talking to others about it for days yeah well Liam Logrand agrees and he talks about the twist which is one of the major things in the film which blew me away because I hadn't read the book before so I was like what What? is going on (laughs) he says I love how the film explores the themes of isolation violence sanity and discovering your identity in a mundane society once the audience discovers the twist it Mm. completely changes the way the film is viewed Brad Pitt Edward Norton give the performances of their careers one of the greatest films ever made and is an essential viewing for movie lovers. It's hard to make a twist that actually works second viewing, third viewing, fourth viewing. Because when you go back and you watch the movie, you're watching it closer. And you notice things like, say, when they get on the bus, he only pays for one person. He doesn't pay for two. Now, now when I was watching it again, I remember when I went back and I watched it two times in a row back in 1999, I was like thinking, wait a minute. So when Tyler and the narrator are in the same scene together, mm-hmm. only one of them are, are talking to the people around them. Yeah. Like you don't see both of them talking to the people around them. One's observing, one's talking. But there's one scene where they're talking to each other and two other people are in the scene when they're in the car. Oh, yes. And two of the members of Project Mayhem are in the they back must seat. They thought he was crazy. Well, that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Because otherwise my theory doesn't hold any water. And don't ask him any questions. But yeah. when you see The Sixth Sense, you watch it the first time, you get to the end, you go back, you watch it again, and you're watching it more closely. Yeah, And that, that, that happened with Fight Club. It does. And because there are so many things about Fight Club, watching it on Blu-ray. Don't talk about Fight Club. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. 
Second rule, don't talk about it. But when you're watching it on Blu-ray and you use the pause button on the scenes with the subliminal oh, Brad yeah. Pitt's, and the, it's scary. And also the, at the, the very frame end. right at the end. Very <laughs> end. Not so subliminal, oh, not so subliminal. but well, brilliant. That wraps up our David Fincher special on profiles. Before we go, let's recap, recap. our Fast Five. Number five, uh, Zodiac. Zodiac. Number, number four, four, The Curious Case, case of Benjamin, Benjamin Button. Button. Number three, seven. seven. Number, number two, two the, the Social, social network, network. And number, number one, one Fight, Fight Club. Club. So excited that you could join us. Make sure you let us know which you would choose for your Fast Five, why you love David Fincher. And also, let's get the conversation started about next week's show because next week we are talking about an actress and we have a little audio cue to give you an example. I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bare if you dare to try me. Oh, that uh, is Kate, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. This is going to be great. My home girl from Australia, also a fantastic actress. I was really dying to talk about an actress, a female actress, and she just has such interesting movies that we uh, could talk about. Great movies. I don't know how we're going to choose five, but let us know which ones of Kate Blanchett's movies are your favorite. And be sure, again, please go to iTunes and rate and review profiles. I'll give you a hug. Alicia will give you a virtual hug and nobody gives better hugs than Alicia Malone. I'll give you like a high five, but yeah. we have so many great filmmakers, directors, actors, actresses, uh, movies that we just want to talk about week to week. Profiles is catching on. Help us spread the word. Like us. Go to our Facebook page. Rate and review us. And until next week, Schmoville, see, see you, you later. From producers Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, and the entire Schmoes No Network crew, we would like to thank you for listening to Profiles with Alicia Malone and Scott Mant. Special thanks to Kevin Undergaro and Maria Madunos, the author of Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, in stores now. Be sure to subscribe to Profiles on iTunes and rate and review the show. To get other Schmoes No Network episodes, movie news, and join the conversation, be sure to visit schmoesno.com. I'm the Pitbull. And this has been a presentation of the Schmoes No Network.